Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Thyme Podcast presented on the Top Football Club, Top FCTV channel on YouTube and the Football Tonight Podcast. We are recording this on Sunday, December 3rd, 3rd, 3rd. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, United show their asses and their true level again in about as battering as a 1-0 as you can get away at Newcastle. Liverpool Anfield Fulham, and by that I mean they pull the game out of their ass in a 4-3 thriller. Uh, and Arsenal hold serve at home. But first, another thriller at the Etihad. City and Spurs playing to a 3-3 draw. Wow. But first, please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. It means everything to us. We're going to go straight go straight into it right after we get this thing going. It's very exciting week. Another exciting week. Another moment where City show that they're a little weak at the back. Uh, but I'm just looking for some of my data. And then once I get that going, I will get everything going for you, for everyone. And here we are. We will start in the great and powerful Etihad with Manchester City. Drawing 3-3 with Spurs at home. This is unacceptable. For a City team to be champion, they cannot be drawing to Spurs. This is now two different games where they've given up seven goals in total. A 4-4 to um, a 4-4 to Chelsea, and now a 3-3 to Tottenham. Something is not fresh in Manchester, and it is City's defense. To be fair, they created more than enough to win this game. Way more than enough to win this game. As I scroll through, just going to go to, you know, my favorite stat in Expected goals over here. Uh, City on 2.57. I mean, that is just a tremendous amount uh, of opportunity. Granted, games are not played in expected goals, especially in the first half. Just completely dominant performance. 1.74. Second half, much better for Spurs. Or, in a sense, less bad less opportunity for city spurs didn't create many spurs didn't have a lot of shots they had more of the ball in the second half they took more shots on target so spurs did grow into this game and i will give them a lot of credit but first half was completely city dominance and of course who did it have to be where did it have to come from of course it was always gonna be the great and powerful hin min son who just can't stop scoring goals. Whenever he plays City, he sees the lights, he sees the power, he sees the destructive force that he can get in on goal that only he can do. And if on the break, off the corner, a little bit of a mistake from Foden, uh, doesn't really break up the play for Hill. Hill breaks out of the, out of the top of the box into Sun, who's on the break. Uh, there's nobody back there. Doku's trying to mark Sun, but if it's Sun versus Doku in a foot race, I am taking Hin Min Sun every single time. He is just one of the great Premier League players of all time. And I think sometimes he doesn't get enough credit in a sense. 
He's just such a lethal finisher. If you are an opponent of Hin Min Sun, you are afraid of him. Whenever he moves forward, he is dangerous. Now, for the rest of the game, he was still good, but this was his moment. That was not a great opportunity, but of course he finished it, and that's what makes Sun so, so special. One shot on target, and boom, he puts Spurs into the game. Now, Sonny taketh away as well on eight. An own goal from a nice cross that Alvarez puts into the box, and City and Spurs are level. Now, I don't think going through this game on a one-to-one-to-one basis and going through the stats is what everyone really wants. Um, I can just go through the timeline just to get everyone connected into the what of what happened. So um, we've got Sun with the first goal, then the own goal from Hinman Sun, then another goal on 31, the best goal of the bunch, uh, Foden assisted from Alvarez on a really nice move around the box, and we go into halftime. Now, that first half, there was so many chances missed. Um, Holland missed an incredible chance. Wide open net, flat out misses it. Doku on a break in, he completely hits the post. Um, And there was that one. Uh, Hill came out at halftime, looked like he had an injury. And in the second half, Lo Celso levels the game. But City were still dominant. But at this point, second half, changes coming in. Hoiberg, um, Lo Celso comes out. And I think that there was just a little bit of a change in Spurs' attitude. They stood off a little bit more and really came after City. But it's level on 69. Then cometh the moment, cometh Jack Grealish, who'd come on for Doku. Uh, Doku was good again. The same problems that he has is City get into these up and downs with him. And I'm sure that's what uh, Guardiola was thinking, that they were up 2-1, that Grealish would slow the game down. But then on the nice goal from Lucelso, they had to get back into it. But Grealish puts City up 3-2 on a nice assist from Holland. All good stuff. All amazing play. Um, Guardiola comes out. Kovacic comes out. Kovacic comes in. So City are here to try and shut this game down by putting Kovacic and Ake. But the fight from Spurs continues. And in added time, Kulishevsky comes all the way in from the wing. Ake never really looks at him because he's so far away. He probably thinks to himself, oh, there's a play developing on the far side. I don't think Kulishevsky is going to come to me. But he did. He does get there. And there is the moment. There is the time. And we have just a level score. City have another chance. Then there's a little bit of controversy at the end of the game. City are on the break. Holland has the ball. He releases Grealish. But inexplicably, um, they call a foul and pull it back. So that doesn't quite work. Then again, down the stretch, City have another chance right towards the end of the game. And there's a moment where there was could have been a penalty, a pull on a kanji. It doesn't get called. I'm happy with the no call. I'm disappointed that they didn't allow Grealish to finish his run because that was an important moment. Uh, now, is Grealish a lethal finisher? No, he's not a lethal finisher. But at least give him a chance. Give him a shot. Let us see what he can really do uh, in that moment. And we don't get that chance. So it's just a kind of frustrating thing here. Um, when we look at the top 11 players, the players with all the best ratings are all City players. 
Alvarez, Holland, Silva, Grealish, Foden, Rodri. The normal group you'd expect top for City. Holland is okay in this game. I don't think he deserves uh, that high of a rating. Kulishevsky and Son, obviously they get the goals, so they get the higher rating, and they were the big players for, um, for Spurs who get it done. Spurs rode their luck. Any other day of the week, City wins this game. But this season really reminds me of the season Liverpool won the title. So not 17-18, but 18-19. City had a terrible season where, sorry, City had a weird season where the defense seemed to give up a goal anytime someone attacked. Um, Their XG was fantastic. They were over 100. They were the best team you'd ever see in terms of underlying numbers. But underlying numbers aren't real. You've got to prevent breaks. You've got to finish chances. And in that season, City did neither. Uh, if you recall the the Norwich game where they lost 3-2 and John Stones and Otamendi were running into each other. It feels like that this season. Something is missing. Some juice isn't there. And this is the reason. This is the reason I chose Arsenal to be Premier League champions. It's too hard to do this again. If your levels drop even a little bit, you can be beat. And City's finishing is a touch off. The defense is a touch off and City are giving up goals for fun. They just are. It's a fact. It's happening. It's real. I'm not making this shit up. Uh if we look at their if we look at their recent form right here, we're going to see that, you know, City have you know, three draws in a row. They beat Red Bull, but three draws in a row in the league. 3-3, three, three, uh the 1-1 with Liverpool and the 4-4 four, four with um with with Chelsea. So, three draws in a row in the league and, you know, it's it's hurting them. They've now dropped six points in their last three games, gaining three, but, you know, I'd rather have two wins and a loss any day of the week than have these these points dropped. And as any Liverpool fan knows, when you draw, you're not winning. I know that sounds stupid, but uh, those draws really, really add up, and they do help you to fall behind. And now we can see here that City are now three points off of Arsenal. Uh, they're now a point behind Liverpool. Uh, they've fallen down into third after 14 games. This is not insignificant. Now, can City make up the points? Could this just be a blip? Yes. But the performances say that Pep and City are going to have to figure out what is going on. What is going on? How do they shore up their defense? Is it just John Stones? Is it just that they're missing players? Is it just Kevin De Bruyne? They've got to shore up their whole process. They've got to shore up what it means to be a City player and get this team back on track where they are scoring goals and not giving up goals where they can see out games in a 1-1 or a 1-0. Right now, they're not able to do it. And it's a problem and it's frustrating for City fans. Now, did we win the treble? Yes. Am I specifically worried? No. <laughs> um, but uh, I am concerned that a depleted Spurs without their best players, without any center backs, the same team that lost to Aston Villa just put three more goals on City and City weren't able to stop them. That's bad. 
uh, and it is frustrating, and I don't like it at all. But Spurs, what fight? The Post de Coglu revolution is indeed a revolution. It is a change. It is something different. It is something to hold on to. Uh, I feel like Pasta Coglu's got more of a Bielsa feel to him than sort of a Chris Wilder or something that the underlying numbers aren't holding up for. This is real. Um, he's giving his players license to do what they need to do. Sorry. And Kulashevsky mentioned it. He said, hey, he's not giving us a hard time. He says, go out, express yourself, go score those goals you want to. Go be the player you want to be without, um, without, you know, kind of worrying about all this stuff. And it is working for, uh-oh, what did I do? It is working for Spurs in a major way. Oh, this is probably what I wanted. Uh, I was in a different view. Now I look good here. So I had a little bit of a problem there, but this looks good as well. Um, still working really, really well. Exciting stuff from Spurs. And I think that they can be really happy with their place. Fifth place is about where they should be. They're still only six points behind. Um, yes, they lost a bunch of games. Yes, they are pulled apart. But I think that if they can hold serve and kind of average about one and a half points per game, I think they can sort of stay in this position where they can feel good. Uh, could they have beat Aston Villa? Yes. Could they have beat Wolves? Yes. Uh, the, the Chelsea game was a little bit bonkers, but these games were winnable. And and I think Spurs can feel good about where they are. Uh, I think, you know, if you had said to Spurs fans, after 14 games, you're going to have 27 points almost two points a game, be eight, three, and three with a plus eight goal difference, they would have bitten your arm off without Harry Kane and a brand new manager. Now, the 10 the ten unbeaten gives them a little bit of a feeling like, oh, we're better than this, but ultimately they did a great job being where they needed to be. Okay, let us go to the other bonkers game today. Uh, less of a surprise, but more in the narrative sake for Liverpool versus um, Liverpool versus Fulham. Fulham took this game to Liverpool and Liverpool were in trouble. I didn't think they were going to lose. Uh, once it got to 2-2, I thought, well, and it's getting late in the game. I thought, well, I, I'm sure Fulham will figure this thing out. Um, but ultimately, uh, the defense of Liverpool, which had been the problem, I think kind of showed up in this match. And you kind of had a feeling like, oh, okay, this is a problem. Um, Leno with the old goal, but then Harry Wilson's goal was really nice. Front post flick. This is one of those moments where you thought, oh, if we if Liverpool had had Allison, maybe they would have been in better shape. But in this case, um, it came out okay for them. But Liverpool fought. Liverpool had Anfield behind them. Liverpool will never really going to fall behind in this game. Two great players, Harry Wilson and Kenny Tete, getting their game level, going into the second half. Um, and Klopp did not wait at the hour mark, at the 70-minute mark. Oh, where's the McAllister goal? By the way, I have to stop for a second. To go up 2-1, the McAllister goal is super-duper world-class mega bomb 
the sort of stuff that McAllister used to do uh, at um, at Brighton all the time. What a great player. Is he a great defensive player? No. <laughs> but uh, second half here. Oh, wait. Oh, I forgot the narrative of this. All right. Second half here on 80. Um, there's a bunch of changes. Liverpool's like, okay, things aren't working for us. Gakpo, Gomez is in. Konate's in. And they're sort of not playing for the draw, but sort of trying to shore things up, put some power into the midfield, uh, put some better defense in, you know, putting adding Gomez, taking out Matip and getting Konate in, adding Gakpo in instead of Buzai, who are, you know, these are different players. But And D Cordova reads, amazing header on back post, uh, gets, gets Liverpool behind. And of course, it's Liverpool. So they have to have a moment where... They score, Endu scores his goal, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold, edge of the box, right one in. Just, you know, it's just the kind of things that Liverpool does. <laughs> they win games 4-3. Uh, for Liverpool, this is a great win that they can take. This is a great moment that Klopp can go back to uh, his team and say, hey, we got away with one. Our defense is still... Not quite right, especially when it's, you know, you know, Simikas is a stopgap for Robertson. He's not someone who can play all the time. You're not winning the league with Simitas at fullback. Uh, he's been good. He's been doing the best he can. But I think that slowly but surely, we're starting to see some of the issues with having a guy like Simikas uh, in the back line the whole game. Uh, it just isn't working. And of course, the Darwin Nunez thing is still the Nunez thing. He hits the post yet again. Uh, he can't seem to score the goals. We need him to score. Um, and that's worrying. But as long as Liverpool are winning, it's not a tremendous deal. But again, these games for the big teams like City and Arsenal and Liverpool are not so much about... The results, they are, but they aren't. They're about the manner and how they handle the weaknesses of their individual teams. Um, these teams are not perfect still. They're all still fighting. With City, it's how do they manage their control of games without Gundogan in the side? I think that we're identifying it without Gundogan and Stones in the side. For Liverpool, it's how do we manage without a defensive midfielder? So McAllister's not working as a shield yet. Uh, and then for Arsenal, it's about generating offense enough without Partey. Is the changes that you have to make to adjust to Rice, which I think they're doing, uh, change their offense. But we'll get to uh, Arsenal in a minute. Um, so those would be the three teams and the three kind of issues that I see within those teams that they have to deal with. So that's where those teams are. Um, exciting, good stuff from uh, Liverpool there. I think I'm just trying to fix my name here. I don't think I need this here because my name shows up on there anyway. Um, so that's where they are. Forget Again, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe the show, and we'll get on to Arsenal in a minute. Okay. Arsenal. Actually, let's do United. Let's do United first because United is just 
such a bigger story. Um, and it's not so much about the game itself. But I want to sort of touch on some of the things that we've talked about with United um, all season, how they are, what they do, what it feels like to root for United, and why people like me who are sort of not stat driven, but um, who think of things in an analytics kind of way, why it's valuable and not some like, you know, tinfoil hat nerd stuff. Um, Let's first start with, with Newcastle, though. Newcastle are as injured as any team in the league. Newcastle are playing midweek games. Newcastle did have a setback. They just went through one of the more egregious, harmful losses that you can go through, um, you know, with the PSG game in midweek where a penalty basically stole uh, a famous win from them. So they're going through a lot of the things that tough teams and big teams go through, and they're coming through it. They're coming through it. As a group, their big players are helping them, but as a group, they're getting the results and the fight from their team that they need. They're getting results and the fight from their team that they need. I'm talking about Newcastle because we talk about United far, far too much. But let's look at this, this here. This is like the perfect thing. This back momentum, this forward progress, this uh, shots on target, where you're living on your side. I don't even know exactly what this means. All I know is this chart doesn't have anything for United. Uh, I've just looked at it for the first time. Let's look at, at the ratings here, right? Um, nothing here says that a United player even shows up in the first half. This is all the top eight players in terms of rating. Don't deceive your eyes. Kieran Trippia, fantastic. Joe Linton, fantastic. Gumares, fantastic. Anthony Gordon with the goal, fantastic. Cher, leading the team. Livramento, getting up and down. Miguel Almiron, getting up and down and in people's faces. And Lascelles, even stronger as a player who um, was having a hard Garnacho was United's best player along with Maguire. These numbers are accurate. This is real. United are terrible. They lost 1-0, but it was not close. Look at the XG, two and a half to half a goal. Let's just look at the first half, where it was way, way, way worse. 14 shots to two. Seven off target. Look at, this is a complete and utter battering. United did not show up again. It's embarrassing. Look at the bottom of the lineup here. Anthony, McTominay, and Rashford. Three players that are emblematic of how awful United are. And then at the top, Joe Linton, Trippier, and Gumeresh are indicative of how fantastic Newcastle are. They won 1-0, but this was a 3- or a 4-0 game. It was a complete and total spanking. And we've been talking about this all season with United. They got their wins. They did what they were supposed to do. They beat who they were supposed to beat. They got their 1-0 wins. 
but they were not convincing. None of this was saying anything to anyone who was actually paying attention that United were back. They were getting results, which is good, and the games are behind them. And so every time they won, it reset things, and you can go, oh, we're fine. We got to win. Then we go to the next game. We get another round of practice and see if we can get ourselves going. But each game that comes after the other one where they don't show up is another indictment on this side. United are finished. They're cooked. It's over. Ten Hag is done. And if he can stay till the end of the season and they can finish in fifth, that would be an accomplishment at this point. An accomplishment for United would be a fifth-place finish with just a win against a top side. They still haven't beat a good team. Not one. When they play someone who has anything about them, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, City, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, they get beat and they get embarrassed because they're not good enough. On the other side, Newcastle are everything United fans want from United. That is what, what Newcastle play like is what Ferguson's United played like. If you're too old to remember what it looked like, that is what it looked like. Water-carrying, hard-working players who were in a relegation side. Trippier has been in relegation side. Anthony Gordon, relegation side. Cher, relegation side. Livermento, relegated last year. Almiron, relegation. Lachelles, relegation. All these players on Newcastle were relegation players. And Eddie Howe pulled that team together, and they did the number one job that players need to play to be top teams. Effort. They work hard. They run hard, and they never leave it on the field. You can lose if you run and 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 have a bad day. No one is going to begrudge you if you work hard and lose. The problem for United and, and United supporters is the team is not even working hard, and that's what's sad. They're not taking anything on. They're not improving. If anything, they're getting worse. Ten Hag. Every day he talks to the players and they don't show up. It's another result where they lose that little bit of confidence, that little bit more. Oh, we're just going to hoof it long. Oh, we're just going to, oh, 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 oh. And eventually there's nothing there at United. And that purchase can't come through fast enough. It just can't. And it's a sad day because United are a big club. And they're toast. And I think that another team is going to skip over them. And I think Newcastle will skip over them and push them down another peg where they can't get into the top five anymore because they don't even have the money of Newcastle. And if Newcastle are going to be well run with money, United, even with a new owner, will still be ahead of them. Let's go to Arsenal who did what they were supposed to do, but they had a really, really strong performance. And I think that Arsenal fans uh, are starting to see their Arsenal again. The goals they scored in the first half were of the purest, purest class. Uh, Saka with the first, Odegaard at, with the second, was just 
just an amazing, amazing goal. Tiki Taka around the back, uh, just so good. Zinchenko on the byline over to Jesus. All the all the all the classic pieces of a of a nice Wenger esque goal. The the sort of Arsenal feeling that what they do is what they do, and you can see in this sort of timing here of the lines here. But the the goal the goal from Odegaard was really the one that I just. I just loved. I mean, it was so classy. Everything about it. One touch. I think it was Jesus. Sorry. Rice crossfield ball to Saka. Saka across again to Jesus. Jesus into Zinchenko. One touch. Zinchenko into Odegaard, who'd gone to the spot. Moving Wolves around. An incredible goal. A class goal. Everything about it was just fantastic. Uh, and... Within 15 minutes, Arsenal were already cruising. Um, Wolves, to be fair to them, they stayed in the game. Um, Bellegarde came out. Sarabia came in. Doherty came in. And Arsenal were really seeing it out. I think one of the things that's not really clear that people don't know is that Arsenal is a defensive team in the league. And I think the thing that we have to sort of remember with Arsenal is that they've changed. The addition of Declan Rice into that middle park where Thomas Party was makes them by nature a more defensive team because uh, Rice is not the passer, but he's a fantastic defender. He's one of the best uh, counterattacking defensive players there is. He does not allow teams to break on you because he doesn't care. He'll get right in front of the players and fight for the team. Uh, we saw the Trossard in the Havertz spot. I don't think he made too much of a difference. But uh, everything else was fantastic. Really strong game. I do want to give a lot of credit to Wolves and the poor, hard-done Gary O'Neill. They did get one back. And so the last 15 minutes of the game were really tough. Semedo, Semedo, Cunha. And Arsenal did have to see this game out. There was a nervy moment there. And I think I do every week, you know, I want to give Gary O'Neill some of his props. They did fight. This team never gives up. I really like Wolves. I think that they are additive to the Premier League in terms of they give effort, they're in for it, they have skilled players. Cunha is one of the best runners with the ball in the league. Uh, Chan is a super-duper hard worker. I think if they had been able to hold on to Neto, it would have been a huge difference. Kilman is one of the better defenders in the division, and Jose Sa has been goalkeeper of the season-level keeper. So Wolves are have have stuff about them, and beating Wolves is never easy, despite what the uh, what the stat a uh, City have lost to them, Spurs have lost to them. So Wolves have a lot to them, and you know Arsenal getting a win against Wolves where they had to fight for the last 10, 15 minutes is not unusual. And remember, last always the last twenty minutes because they've been adding ten minutes to every game. So Arsenal win their game; they are still top of the league. And that makes me very unhappy. <laughs> uh, we go to my friends at Chelsea. Um, this game was interesting. I thought that Chelsea played well. Uh, they they identified a weakness within Spurs. I mean, within Brighton, that they didn't have Lewis Dunk, and that they were small in the back line. Uh, a new pairing of Igor and Van Hecke. And so they sort of 
moved Brighton around and on set pieces and crosses, got their two goals. Um, one flicked over the top. Enzo Fernandez gets the goal. Uh, so, so Chelsea are up 1-0. It's still the same group. They kind of are trying to be a bit more consistent, but they're going to be up and down. So they get a good win. I don't think that they need to feel bad about where they are or, or too uh, crappy about their play. They just are going to be up and down all season. Um, they do In this game, they showed a lot of fight. They, they were up 2-0. Um, uh, from goals from, I just want to make sure I got this right. Goals from Caldwell and Enzo Fernandez. And Caldwell's also, uh, um, assisted by Jackson. So that's another, um, play. But then Connor Gallagher, just inexplicably, he gets the foul on 31. Uh, Buonanote brings the, brings, um, brings Brighton back into the game. But then before the half, once the, the additional time board goes out, and Colin Gallagher gets a second card. And so the whole second half was really all uh, Brighton. And, you know, we can see in the first half, it's much more even. Um, Chelsea win the expected goals battle at home. I just want to make sure, yes. They do win the expected goals battle. They're playing well. It's all there. They're really controlling... Um, Brighton and they can feel good about where they are. Brighton had the ball, but they weren't doing anything with it. Second half, the whole thing shifts, but there is a penalty shout. Um, that was never a penalty. Mudrick is in on goal. Uh, it's shoulder to shoulder with Milner. Tangle of legs goes down. No call. The correct call. VAR looks at it, tells the referee to go to the monitor. And Enzo puts it away. So that goal to put Chelsea up 3-1 really, really hurts. Um, really, really hurts uh, uh, Brighton, who are continuing to fight. But um, from there on, Chelsea see it out. Uh, they do get another goal. Jao Pedro, who's been really, really good for um, for Brighton, gets one in extra time. There's one more shout. I think it's a handball uh, for Adingra late. Very late for the draw, but it goes um, Chelsea's way, and they get out with a 3-2 uh, that they probably feel really good about. Only took three shots, uh, were just pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, Sanchez making lots and lots of saves. Man of the match performance, according to the scoring here. But, you know, a good win. Another one of these character building. I think, like I said earlier, with Chelsea, it's going to be, can they find a consistent group? Can they, from game to game, put better performances in? I think we're seeing consistency from. We see consistency from Sterling. We see consistency from Fernandez. We see consistency from um, uh, Cole Palmer. But then from there, it's kind of hit or miss. Um, we know that Jackson Martinez. I mean, <laughs> Nico Jack Jackson is not uh, the answer. Uh, I don't think Mudrik is the answer either. I want to see Broya in. I think Broya makes a difference. Um, and Gallagher has really just took a shot out of his own team right now and hurt the team. Uh, he may need to sit down for a while and think about what he's done. <laughs> um, but that's Chelsea right now. And they sneak up into the 10th spot. Now, our friends from Aston Villa. 
they play a 2-2 draw with Bournemouth, who are on a run of runs. Uh, They've gotten themselves together. I think the Andoni Iraola era has now kicked off. They are in much, much, much better shape. Um, Now, at home, sorry, away from home, getting a draw in the Premier League is good. Uh, First half, though, you know, back for the second half, was much more in Brighton's favor. favor. Um, Solanke is always really good. Semenyo, we've been talking about him, is really, really good. He put the hurtin' on uh, Newcastle a few weeks ago, if you remember, Chris talked about it. So they're really getting something going here with Brighton and their season with, with Bournemouth, and their season is taken off. Uh, we did get to see Zanolio back, Ollie Watkins, of course, the best strike, best English striker in the division, along with Leon Bailey getting the goals. Um, but a better performance, um, a better thing from Bournemouth, and the Thursday Sunday thing looks like it did get to it did get to Villa, uh, and they weren't able to sort of be their normal powerful self. To me, here it looks like Bournemouth outplayed um, outplayed Aston Villa, but. Villa did get it. That high line was hurting them. All these shots on goal. Uh, lucky to have a great keeper in um, in Lissandra Martinez. So Villa hold serve. They're going to have to keep looking at where they are, what they're up to. It's not a great real performance. Nice there from um, Ryan Christie. But the back half of this team for Bournemouth did really put a hurting on, um, put a hurting on Villa. Good stuff all around there. But Villa hold their position for now. Hold their position for now. Uh, Let's go back to Saturday and talk about my beloved, (laughs) my beloved, uh, let's see, wait a minute, what's going on? This isn't where I want it to go. Uh, Let's go back to the, to the, to the table there, round 14, and really make sure we've, we've got a full understanding of the rest of the week's results. Also, we had um what where am I going? What? What? What is going on here? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Arsenal Wolves. Five, twelve. Oh, this is European style. <laughs> European style scoring. By round. Here we go. Okay, round 14. Where's the rest of the scores? What? I don't know what's going on. Uh, Other games. Uh, Brentford defeated Luton. Uh, Brentford put in a really, really good performance. Luton uh, still not going to make their hay there. Everton get off the schneid in a very forgettable game, but um, McNeil gets the goal. Forrest at home. Steve Cooper, are you in trouble? Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then the beloved Burnley Bees, uh, the Destroyers, the Claret and Blue uh, of Burnley put a five on Sheffield United after uh, Ollie McBurney inexplicably throws two elbows in five minutes, gets himself sent off before the half, and Burnley take an opportunity to attack that goal difference problem and put a five up and get their first win at home. Good for my friend at... Um, <laughs> good for my friend at... Um, 
Vincent Company at Burnley. Um, like I said, Forest not good. We talked about United, uh, the two-two uh, Liverpool. Then yeah, we went through them all. Okay, let us review the standings just so we all know where we are. We'll start at the bottom this time. Sheffield United are bottom on five points, tied with Everton and Burnley. Uh, Everton will always have the goal difference um, opportunity because they have a 10-point deduction, which is completely bullshit that they shouldn't have. And Luton sit above them on nine. So I would expect there's a little bit of a gap here after uh, Bournemouth have their seven points in a row with only just two dropped in their last three on 13 along with four. I could see Forrest get pulled down into this. Fulham are in 14th after a tough result uh, against Liverpool, but you don't expect to go to Anfield and win. Uh, Palace just, they get a draw today, but man, our Palace bad. Uh, I'd like to see uh, Graham Potter get this job, not because Roy Hodgson is bad, but because they need a change. Um, Edward got the goal, kudos for another one. So this was one uh, in the second half and kind of just played out as you'd expected between a Moyes, <laughs> a Moyes and, um, and, and uh, Roy Hodgson game, very defensive, not a lot of XG, you know, 1.3 versus one. So about two goals, not a lot going on here. Um, you know, just a game that is more forgettable than memorable. Um, not going to crap on Palace, but not as good. Uh, then we have Brentford in 11th. They're on 19 with the positive goal difference, plus three. Chelsea in 10th. I expect Chelsea, I expect United, Brighton, West Ham, and Chelsea to kind of stay together in this group. I don't think any of them is any better than the other. Um, West Ham have a way they play. Brighton have a way they play. Um, but Chelsea are too inconsistent right now. Their underlying numbers are okay. So are West Ham's and so are Brighton's. I could see United falling down. They're the least good of this group. Uh, they have six losses, which is the same as Crystal Palace. <laughs> now, they have they don't have any draws, and they keep winning and losing, but they're not scoring, and <laughs> they're just awful. United's problem is scoring. They have scored as many goals as Bournemouth. That's how much scoring United's doing. Just keep that in mind. Look at this goal scored number. Newcastle have scored twice as many goals as Man United. That's scary bad. Scary, scary bad. Then Newcastle in sixth, Tottenham in fifth in the European spot. I could see it finishing in this. I think Aston Villa will finish in the top four, but they're there, so they get to be in that spot. City in third, uh, lowest they've been in a long time. They haven't been in third in a long time. Uh, with Liverpool and Arsenal top of the league after 14 weeks. What an incredible, incredible run. One thing that's nice, uh, we're not talking about VAR today as a rule of thumb. It's not the most important thing. Thank God. <laughs> I could do without a week of VAR. We did have some bad refereeing, but not atrocious, terrible doom. Uh, oh, I like this little timer here of how far we're going to go. Um, and I think that's that. United. Bad, Arsenal, good, City, giving up too many goals, and I love Ange. 
Okay, I'm going to say the goodbye to this show. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. My name is Laurent Cortines. We are the Premier League only wing of the Top Football Club TV YouTube channel and presented exclusively by the Football Tonight podcast where Chris and I will reconvene on Monday. We record on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review the show. It means everything. See you Monday.